0: Unearthing Paranormalcy is part of the Green Mushroom Podcast Network. And welcome to another episode of Unearthing Paranormalcy, the podcast that digs into the paranormal and tries to find normalcy in the topic. I'm Amy. I'm Dave. And I'm Chad. And we will continue our Norse journey this episode. But first, here is a promo from one of the Green Mushroom Podcast Network podcasts. This is Smuts Up. So, what's up? It's a sex positive comedy show your parents forgot to warn you about.
1: I will be a delightful host, Jeep Weird, and with me are my three very sexy friends.
2: I'm Captain Spanks, dropping an anchor. It's a I Spanker! A Hi, I'm Raven mm-hmm. Gunnigan, and I'm about to eat 16 feet of nerd's rope.
0: And I'm Luxa, and that is all you get to know about me. (laughs) Join us for a ride full of twists and turns as we explore the rabbit hole that is human sexuality.
2: I, Smutsup crew, would like to propose.
0: Oh my god, he's proposing. A question. Get down on your fucking knees. If you're curious about expanding your horizons or getting more comfortable in your own skin, then the Smutsup podcast is for you. Or maybe you're just a horny nerd or a person who enjoys outdated references. The Smuts Up podcast it. is fun for the whole step family. I'm going to say the B word. <laughs> Butthole sunning. Uh, if you
2: were to put a hot dog in it, is it a sandwich? I, put a I don't
1: know.
0: Is mouth. a bread dilder with a hot dog inside it a sandwich? Write to us at smutsup69 at gmail.com and let us know what you think about that. Available on your favorite podcast apps.
2: I put a D20 in my mouth
0: nailed it I
2: put hey i've been on that one i've been on that one too <laughs> i probably b20 i put a d20 in my mouth
0: i did put a d20
1: in my mouth <laughs> yeah. i'll have to guess on it one day <laughs> <laughs> you know in the in the last episode when we were talking about heimdall visiting uh midgard uh-huh i i don't know why i didn't make this connection but he visited I, he visits the house made out of out of straw and then the house made out of sticks, and then the house made out of bricks. So three little w- pigs. Yeah, I wonder if that's the origin of that.
0: But instead of blowing down the house, he blew his load. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and he's a
0: home wrecker.
3: <laughs>
0: it all works. Just a different spin on the same fairy tale, right? <laughs> uh, <laughs> Definitely a different spin.
2: That's more like the... More like the version you find on the internet. Yeah, that's that that
0: fairy tale fanfic. (laughs) 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 All right, so
1: let's start with some legends of Thor. In our episode Unearthing Dragons, I told you about how while fishing, Thor caught Loki's son Jormungandr, the world serpent. We also brought up Sigurd, the dragon killer in that episode. That's also from Norse mythology. The dragon Sigurd Slade, Favnir, was most likely the one J.R.R. Tolkien was inspired by to create smog, as there are many parallels in The Hobbit. When Sigurd tasted Favnir's blood while cooking and eating his heart, he gained the knowledge of the speech of birds.
0: Tweet, 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 tweet. Tweet,
1: tweet. So when it comes to Thor, who is remembered throughout the world on the fourth day of the week, Thor's Day, I wanted to focus on stories about Thor's great hammer, Mjolnir. We're all talking about the other hammer. (laughs) (laughs) Did
0: that one blow its load too?
1: (laughs) This is how Thor got his hammer. Thor was married to Sif, whose long golden hair was her one great pride. It fell to her feet like a ray of sunlight, and it was the color of ripe corn silk in the summer fields. As she brushed it, it glinted in the light and became a symbol of great beauty across Asgard. One day, the glistening cascade of hair caught the eye of Loki, and he wondered then how he ever could have imagined living without it. He thought about the hair all day and all through the night. And then, just as the moon reached her pinnacle in the midnight sky, Loki leapt to his feet and made for Sif's bedchamber.
0: When the moon hits your eye like a big pizza pie, that's rape.
1: Let's go assault a goddess.
3: <laughs>
2: when the moon hits your eye like a big pizza pie, that's rape.
3: So Loki... <laughs>
1: Loki leapt to his feet and made for Sif's bedchamber, where he knew he would find her sleeping. The moon cast long shadows into the sleeping goddess's delicately furnished room, and it was easy for the fleet-footed Loki to steal in and set to work. Is that what it's called? (laughs) Loki crept to the sides of Sif's bed, and very gently, so that he did not disturb her he withdrew a pair of great shears from his cloth and cut her long veil of hair from her head. Winding the tresses around his arm, he darted from the room once again, and there was silence. Until, that is, Sif awoke to discover the travesty that had occurred.
0: But there was no, like, shape-shifting battle with... What's-his-face? Can
1: Not in this one. <gasps> oh. Her shrieks brought everyone in the kingdom running to her side, and Thor howled with such outrage that the entire kingdom of Asgard shook. Loki! It was not long before Loki was ferreted out and brought before the irate god. Thunder boomed in the sky as the shaking trickster fell to his knees before Thor.
0: I beg you, Thor!
1: He cried. Let
0: me free and I will find a new head of hair for this Sif one. And it will even be more beautiful than the one that she has now. I'll go to the dark elves. They'll fashion one.
1: Loki's head bobbed up and down with fright. And eventually Thor gave in.
0: He's on his knees and his head's bobbing up and down.
1: (laughs) You
2: have 20 hours to come forward with the tresses, And if you fail, Loki... You will be removed from Asgard forever. Forever.
1: Thor banged down a thunderbolt at Loki's feet. <laughs> and the traitor scampered hastily away, hardly daring to breathe at his good fortune.
0: He was a creepy uncle.
1: Loki traveled at once to the center of the earth, down into the Svart Svartalfheim, where the wily dwarf Delavlin had his home he drew himself on the mercy of the dwarf and requested as well two gifts with which he could win the favor of Odin and Frey, who were bound to hear of the news and wish to punish him themselves.
0: pre thinking, smart guy.
1: <laughs> Devalin worked over the heat of his forge for many hours, and as he worked, he chanted the words which would make all he forged the finest there was. FOR THERE ARE NO ARMS AS POWERFUL NOR AS INVINCIBLE AS THOSE FASHIONED BY DWARFS. FIRST HE FINISHED THE SPHERE Jungner, WHICH WOULD ALWAYS HIT ITS MARK. NEXT HE FORMED THE SHIP SKIBLINER, WHICH WOULD ALWAYS FIND WIND, ON EVEN THE MOST SILENT OF SEAS, AND WHICH COULD SAIL THROUGH THE AIR AS WELL AS ON WATER. THE SHIP WAS FOLDED CAREFULLY AND PLACED IN A TINY COMPASS. Loki's eyes shone as its undoubted worth. Finally, Dvalin spun the most graceful of golden threads, and these he wove into a head of hair so lustrous and shining that all the dark elves gasped at its beauty. (sighs) Dvalin handed it carefully to Loki, wrapped in the softest tissues, and said, As soon as this touches your princess's head, It shall grow there and become as her own. Loki took all the gifts from Davlin, from Dvalin, and he thanked profusely and feeling very pleased with himself, he set off for Asgard with a skip in his step. His jauntiness attracted the attention of two dwarfs who sat by the side of a small cottage. Why do you smile so? asked the first, for Loki's reputation had preceded him and the dwarfs were certain that his happiness could have no virtuous cause.
0: "'Divaldi!'
1: boasted Loki.
0: "'It's the most clever of smiths both here and all the nine worlds.'
1: And with that, he held up his prizes for the dwarfs to examine. "'Pish!' said the first dwarf, who was called Broki. "'My brother Sindri can fashion gifts that are far more beautiful than those and sturdier, too.' He paused and then continued, leaning towards Loki, who began to look rather put out. Our gifts would hold the magic of the very center of the earth, he whispered. Loki choked, (coughs) and then recovering himself, immediately challenged the dwarf to prove his words. So confident was he of the gifts he held now that he placed a wager on his own head. And so it was that Brokey and Sindri made their way into the smithy and began work on the hottest of forges. Shinri, Sindri agreed to fashion the goods on the condition that Brokey blew the bellows, a task which would prove difficult over the great heat that was necessary for Sindri to win the wager. Sindri at once threw some gold into the fire and left the room, eager to invoke the powers which would be invested in a great wild boar, which he had decided upon for Frey. Alone with the roaring fire, Broki worked hard at the bellows, never pausing despite the tremendous heat. Loki watched from the window as he observed the determination and strength of the dwarf. He began to grow uneasy. At once he decided he must intervene, and as quick as a flash of light he turned himself into a gadfly and alighted on the hand of Broki where he set in a stinger so deep that a rush of blood rose to the surface immediately. Broki cried out in pain but he continued the bellowing, never missing a beat. Sindri returned to the room and drew from the fire an enormous boar, who they called Gulenbursty, for its radiant gold bristles. This boar would have had the strength of all other boars there were, but he would have the additional ability to shine a rich and powerful light into any part of the world in which he traveled. He was the perfect gift for the sun god Frey, and nothing could match the brilliance of its light but the sun god himself. So Sindri flung more gold into the fire and instructed Broki to continue to blow. Uh, harder. (laughs) Once again, he left the room to seek the necessary enchantment. And once again, Loki took on the form of a gadfly, in an instant, he landed on Broki's cheek and stung through the weathered skin until Broki cried out and turned white with pain. But still he worked on, pumping the bellows, until Sindri returned once more. And triumphant, Sindri drew from the fire a ring, which he called Dropnir, which would become the very symbol of fertility, for on every ninth night, eight identical rings would drop from Dropnir, with powers to match.
0: The one ring. To create them all. <laughs>
3: my precious.
2: The God, fi- now I have my preciouses.
1: <laughs> <laughs> the final gift was yet to be prepared. And this time Sinri threw iron onto the fire. Leaving Broki hard at work as he left to call upon the final spirits. Broky's strength was beginning to flag. But his will was as strong as ever. He pumped away as the fire burned brighter and brighter until, suddenly, a horsefly lit on his cheek and stung him with a ferocity that caused him to leap into the air, but he still did not miss even one pump of the bellows. Loki was becoming desperate. He arranged himself on the forehead of the hapless dwarf, and he strung straight into the vein on his forehead that throbbed with effort. He was rewarded by a gush of blood that streamed out into the fire and into the Broki's eyes. The dwarf raised his hand for a split second to wipe aside the blood, but that moment caused damage that could not be erased. When Sindri returned and drew out the great hammer, its handle was short and ungainly. Broki hung his head in disappointment, but Sindri pointed out that the powers of the great hammer would more than make up for its small size. (laughs) Indeed, he thought it might be an advantage in that it could be neatly (laughs) hidden in a man's tunic. It's
0: not the size of the boat, but the motion of the ocean.
2: Not the size of the hammer, just the magic in the hammer.
1: So Broki gathered up the gifts and carried them outside to Loki, who accompanied the dwarf back to Asgard with his booty. Odin was given the Ring Thropnir, Frey was given the boar Gollenbersti, and, and Thor was given the hammer, which they named Mjolnir, meaning invincible power.
2: See, I told you Thor had a tiny hammer.
3: <laughs>
1: Loki then presented Sif with her golden hair, and when she placed it upon her shorn head, it latched itself there and began to grow in swirls and waves until it reached her feet once more a shining veil of hair that shone more brightly than ever. Gungnir the spear was given to Odin, and the ship Blabner to Frey. Each god was delighted with his gift, and there was much camaraderie as they slapped the backs of the dwarfs and the redeemed Loki. It was Broki who put a stop to the celebration when he stepped forward and explained the wager that had been made by Loki. The gods looked at one another and eyed their magnificent gifts, although it was agreed that Sif's hair could not be more lustrous or more beautiful. The gods announced that Broki's gifts were the finest and the most magical, for the sole reason that Thor's great hammer was of such a magnificent size that it could be hidden away and used against the frost giants at a moment's notice. Loki's games had backfired. And he turned on his heels and fled before Brokli could undertake his part of the bargain and behead him. Brokli started in outrage and implored Thor to come to his rescue in catching Loki, who was making away at all speed. Still smarting from Sif's agony, Thor threw out a lightning bolt and caught Loki by the ankles, returning him to face his fate at the hands of Brokli and his brother. But when Loki was delivered to the dwarfs. Thor took pity on Loki and insisted to Broki that he could have Loki's head, but that he must not touch his neck, for the neck of Loki belonged to him, Thor. Of course there was no way to remove a head without touching the adjoining neck, and Broki stomped around in fury before he came up with a plan which would serve him equally. Gathering his brother's great all for the purpose, he punched holes along Loki's lips, and stitched him together with an unbreakable cord. It was many days before Loki's howls of pain ceased, and many more before he was able to unstitch the cord. Loki did not speak for almost one hundred days, as his torn lips were so painful, he could not bear to move them. In time, however, Loki was able to speak once again, causing Thor, and everyone in Asgard, to rue the day that the wager was broken.
0: And his little hammer.
1: Now there is a story, the Thor in the Hall of the Giants. It's it's really long, so I'm gonna skip it, but I'd advise going and reading it. It is a remarkable tale between Thor and Loki. And that one he's called Utgard Loki. But let me tell you about the stealing of Thor's hammer.
0: They stole the little hammer.
1: Thor's hammer became a symbol of his energy and power, and the mere mention of its name, Mjolnir, was enough to send the giants of Jotunheim trembling. Its neat, compact size allowed it to be hidden easily on Thor's person, and he never was without it, except on those nights that he shared his marriage bed with Sif. On one such occasion, after a long and happy night, Thor woke and stretching out a lazy hand, reached for Mjolnir. It had vanished. Oh,
2: no! Of course, you know, when you're married, you don't need your hammer anymore.
1: <laughs> his cry of anger suit had all of the palace attendants at his side, and many fruitless hours were spent searching for the missing weapon. Loki was summoned for matters involving theft, particularly in Thor's household, tended to have his hand in them, But his innocence was undoubted on this occasion, and he pledged to help Thor find the real thief. Loki asked to borrow Freya's hawk's coat, and after collecting it from Folkfang, he set off for Jotunheim, traveling across the stea and barren stretches of land, until he found what he was looking for. A giant was sitting alone on a crag. Now this giant's name was Thrym, and as Prince of the Frost Giants, he had cause to dislike and indeed fear Thor, who had made massive losses in their numbers with his great hammer. Loki settled himself beside the giant, and mustering up all of his wiles, set about asking him questions. At last the truth was divulged. Thrym had stolen the hammer and had buried it in a secret location. He would not return it to Thor unless... And this is also where the great giant paused. Unless Freya was presented to him as his bride. Loki let out a great gaffa. gaffa. Freya was the most beautiful of all goddesses. A prize sought after by gods, men, and all other creatures alike. It was certainly unlikely that she would agree to marry this prince of giants. Loki told Thrym three things but Thrym stood firm. He would return the hammer when Freya was made his bride. That was his sole condition. Loki thought hard for a moment, and then made a quick decision. He'd promise Thrym what he had wanted, and then leave matters in the hands of Thor, who would surely find a way around it all. With a smile he rose and indicated that Thrym's condition had been accepted. The giant's smile was greedy, and he rubbed his hands together in glee as Loki disappeared into the morning sky. Now Loki's journey took long enough for him to realize that Freya was not going to be happy about the bargain. (laughs) (laughs) And, And he immediately regretted his hasty acceptance of the giant's proposal. Surely a man of greater wit could have conducted something more practical, he lamented as he flew. When he arrived, he uh, cornered Freya and spoke as quickly as he could, (laughs) begging her to consider the proposal. For wasn't Thor's hammer important to all of them? Was not the very safety of Asgard at risk if he was unable to fight off the attacks of the frost giants? But Freya was outraged (laughs) at the suggestion that she marry a mere giant and give up all the splendors of her home. She commanded Loki to leave her and she shut the door smartly behind him. Loki returned to Thor with his head bowed low in shame. Thor listened carefully to his explanation and patted the surprised Loki on the shoulder.
2: You've done the best thing,
1: he said gently, much to Loki's astonishment.
2: My hammer is the most important thing here.
1: And so it was that Loki and Thor set out to beg Freya to reconsider. They had underestimated the passion of her feelings, for she commenced a tantrum that lasted for one whole day and night, one so fierce that the necklace about her neck was splintered into pieces that flew from one end to the other of Asgard. Thor and Loki realized that their attempts were useless, and returned back to Thrudvang. There they sat and ruminated for many hours, eventually calling upon Heimdall to provide them with advice. His suggestions were met with outrage, as profound as Freya's own anger. For he believed that the very best way to f- for Thor to retrieve his hammer was to dress himself in Freya's necklace and wedding garments, and present himself as Freya herself. <laughs> I would <laughs> never!
0: Just a little cross-dressing, no big deal.
1: Thor refused to consider such a plan, until it became quite clear there were no other alternatives. Oh, fine! Grudgingly he agreed to don her clothes And the necklace was secured From the many parts of Asgard And rebuilt to frit his own brawny neck <laughs> Now this is the one I want to see <laughs>
0: <coughs> What is this like The Norse bosom buddies <laughs>
1: <laughs> Thor traveled with Loki to Jotunheim, And with his eyes averted And a veil covering the red <laughs> and a veil covering the coarse red beard and hair, he was presented to Thrym. Thrym welcomed them at the palace door, and his anticipation of having the lovely Freya as his bride caused him to lick his lips, and made his eyes water so that his eyesight was compromised. He looked slightly astonished by Freya's size, (laughs) (laughs) but he accepted that gods were larger than humans, and that they were much closer to giants in that respect. He held Loki and he led Loki and Thor to the banqueting hall, where the women of the bridal party were taking a meal. Thor sat down at the end of the table, and reached greedily for the platters of meat and bread. Within a few moments he had eaten an ox, ate great salmon, and all of the sweet cakes and viands which had been prepared for the women. And this great meal was washed down with two full barrels of mead. Thrym gaped at the spectacle and could only be comforted when Loki explained that the lovely Freya had been unable to eat for nearly eight days in anticipation of their meeting. <laughs>
3: yeah.
1: Thrym gazed with great admiration at such an appetite, for such things were condemned in those times. Oh, for such things were commended in those times, and caught Freya's eyes. He started back at once. For there was such burning fury that he felt as if he had been struck by a bolt of Thor's own lightning. He turned with dismay to Loki, but he was soon soothed by Loki's assurance that Freya was so deeply in love with him that her passion had consumed her, and her look was one of intense longing. (laughs) Thrym gathered together the men and women in his party and called for the great hammer to be brought forth a symbol of the sacred vows which were to commence. He took Freya's hand and was slightly disconcerted to discover that on its back were thick, curling red
3: hairs.
1: (laughs) As he looked into his loved one's eyes, Thor struck. He grabbed his hammer, and with one great burst of energy, he slew every giant in the room and left the palace in ruins. And then, turning to the destruction, he called out a proclamation which caused Loki to stop in his tracks. Thor claimed the land as his own, and from every corner, tender green shoots of grass and greenery began to grow. The barren wasteland was fertile. Their journey had been a success. So Thor removed Freya's clothing and returned to present the goddess of love with her necklace. The Aesir rejoiced at the return of Thor's hammer, and all was happy again in Asgard. Oh,
0: <laughs> so, Thor dressed as a lady. Mm-hmm. I, I just like he was like little Red Robin, uh, little Red Robin Hood. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> little Red Riding Hood.
1: He's like, what's up with her eyes? <laughs> uh, the better to see you with, Grim. <laughs> oh, that makes sense. What's up with her appetite? the better to eat you with, Freya. <laughs> oh, that sounds delightful too.
0: What's up with the curly red hair? <laughs>
2: uh, it's Thor.
0: <laughs> just, just go
2: get
1: the hammer. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Freya. Freya was the northern goddess of beauty and of love, a maiden so fair and graceful that the gods honored her with the realm of Folkvang and the great Hall Sezrimner, where she would, in eternity, surround herself with all those who loved her. Like many Viking goddesses, Freya was fierce and fiery, her cool demeanor masking a passion which lay burning beneath. She was clever and masterful in battle. And as Valfreya, she often led the Valkyries to the battlefields, where she would claim many of the slain heroes she wore a simple flowing garment, held firmly in place on her torso and arms, with the finest shining armor, a helmet, and shield. Slain heroes were taken to Folkvang, where they lived a life such as they, never, such as they had never experienced on earth. Their wives and lovers came to join them, and Freya's reputation spread far and wide among the dead and the living. So luxurious was Folkvang, so exquisite were Freya's charms, that lovers and wives of the slain would often take their own lives in order to meet with their loved ones sooner and to experience the splendor of her land. And so it was that Freya, gold of hair and blue of eyes, came to be a symbol of love and courtship, and through that the earth, which of course represents fesundity and new life. She married Odor, who symbolized the sun, and together they had two daughters, Hynas and Gersimi. Maybe it's Yersimi. Hynas and Yersimi, beautiful maidens who had inherited their mother's beauty and their father's charisma and charm. But Odor was a man of wandering eyes and one who appreciated the inner music of women, and not just that of his wife. He grew tired of her song, and her absorption with her daughters, and he grew restless and reckless, and after many months and then years of growing weary of the smiling face of his lovely wife, he left Freya and his daughters and set off on travels, which would take him to the ends of the earth and around it. Freya sank into a despair that cast a shadow across the earth, Her tears ran across cheeks that no longer bloomed. And as they touched the earth, they became golden nuggets, sinking deep into the soil. Even the rocks were softened by her tears, which flowed without ceasing as she made her decision. And it was decided by Freya that she could not live without Odor. As well as being the cember of the summer sun, Odor represented passion and ardor. Without him, Freya could no longer find it in her heart to bring love and affection to those around her, and she could not fulfill her duties as goddess of love. It was decided that she should travel to find him. So across the land she passed, leaving behind her tears which glistened and hardened into the purest gold, she traveled far and wide and took on disguises as she moved, careful to leave no clue as to her identity in the event that he should hear word of her coming, and not wish to see her. She was known as Seer and Skialf, Throng and Horn, and it was not until she reached the deepest south, where summer clung to the land that she found odour. Her husband lay under the myrtle trees that line the sunny banks of a stream. Reunited, they lay together there, warm in one another's arms, and dusted with the glow of true love. And as the passion drew color into the cheeks of his wife, Odor knew that he had to look no further to find his heart's content. The trees above them cast their scent across this happy couple, endowing them with good fortune. They rose together then, and Odor and Freda made their way towards their home, and their exquisite daughters, as they walked the earth, rose up to meet them, casting bouquets of fragrant flowers in their path, drawing down the boughs of the flowering tree so they kissed the heads of the lovers. The air was filled with the rosy glow of their love, and everything living joined a chorus of cheers which followed their path. Spring and summer warmed the frozen land which had stood desolate and empty when odor left. The loveliest of the new flowers which bloomed were named Freya's hair and Freya's idu. And to this day, brides wear myrtle in their hair, a symbol of good fortune and true love. Aww. <laughs> I
0: was about to say, I, I know a giant that would probably have uh, not left her. Yeah. But no, no, no. She had to throw a his fit and break her necklace, which then caused Thor to dress up like a woman. <laughs> and... <laughs>
1: Well, she wanted to be with Odor, not Thrym. She wanted to have Odor. Odor. Okay, I I skipped a new word. Dave,
0: you're my Odor.
1: Mm, And you're my Freya.
2: Mountain Dew, you're my Odor.
1: (laughs) Mountain Dew, you love me?
0: (laughs) I sure as Mountain Dew. All
1: right. This is how Tyr lost his hand. Tyr was the son of Odin and Frigga, queen of the gods. He is the god of martial honor, and one of twelve supreme deities of Asgard. He had no palace of his own, but he spent much time at Valhalla. Along with Thor, Tyr was the god of war and of courage, and he was invoked as patron saint of the sword. Tyr was distinguished by the fact he only had one hand, and this is how it happened. When Loki had run away and secretly married the giantess Angerboda, she bore him three horrible children, the wolf Fenrir, Hel, and Jormungandr, the world serpent. Loki was shocked by the appearance of these creatures, and he hid them carefully within Asgard so that no one knew of their existence. But eventually they grew to a size which made them impossible to combine and when Odin discovered their presence in his kingdom, he took steps to rid Asgard of them forever. Hel was flung into the depths of Filheim, where she would re- where she would reign of the nine worlds of the dead. Jormungandr was cast into the sea, where he grew to encircle the earth, biting his own tail to form a complete circle as the world's serpent. Fenrir, however, was allowed to remain in Asgard, for Odin believed that an animal as beautiful as this would be capable of being trained, and perhaps growing to protect the inhabitants of his kingdom from attacks. None of the gods dared go near him, and it looked as though Odin's plans would be impossible. When Tyr stepped forward and volunteered to feed and tend the angry wolf, A tentative relationship was established between the brave god and the wolf, and Fenrir accepted food from Tyr and allowed him to approach without eating him whole. But like the world serpent who grew to encircle the earth in just a few short months, Fenrir soon reached a size that made it unsafe for any man or god to approach him. His size and his strength had become frightening, even for the courageous Tyr and so the Council of Asgard met to discuss his fate. The peace treaty, which had been signed by all members of the Council, did not allow any blood to be shed on the shores of Asgard. It was therefore decided that Fenrir should be bound by the strongest of cables, and kept as their prisoner until such a time as they could work magic strong enough to control him. The first chains were brought forth, and Fenrir laughed out loud when he saw them, he held still as they were woven around his limbs, confident that he could burst them apart with one flex of his mighty muscles. His confidence was justified, for just seconds after the chains were locked, he released himself with ease. The next chains were the strongest as any ever produced by gods, and were the duly, and they were duly wrapped around the heaving bulk of Fenrir. Again they were burst in one breath and Fenrir sat back and laughed at the sight of the puzzled gods. And so it was that Loki was sent to the dark elves where the dwarfs were requested to turn their magic to manufacture a binding that no man or beast could break. It was by magic that the silken rope was woven by dwarfs formed from the sound of a cat's footsteps a woman's beard the spittle of birds and the longing of the bear. When it was complete, it was duly handed to Loki, who brought it to Asgard with a flourish. They named it Glypnir. Fenrir looked carefully at the silken rope, and then shook his head. He would not allow himself to be wrapped for this cord, for although it seemed slender and insubstantial, he had a deep instinctive distrust, and he could not go against his nature. The gods surrounded him then, pleading that he hold still and test his strength against the slight bond of the cord. Fenrir sat quietly and then spoke, his words falling like stones around the assembled gods.
0: I will lay still for the binding. If I have your pledge, the no magic odds have been used in its manufacture. As a symbol of your honor, I would like the arm of one of the gods to be placed in my mouth as you bind me.
1: The gods looked at one another, and then at Fenrir. There was no question, but that magic had been used to produce Gleipnir, For it was the only way that they would be able to make something strong enough to control the wolf. They began to draw back, admitting defeat when the study Tyr strode forward and confidently placed his arm in the enormous jaws. The gods moved quickly and fastened Glipnir around Finrir's neck and paws, and when they were finished, and Fenrir was quite unable to free himself, they shouted with pleasure. At that moment, the great jaws snapped down, biting the god's hand at the wrist and swallowing it whole. Tyr took this maiming with dignity and he learned to use the maim-armed as a shield and to wield his sword with his left hand. Fenrir was taken to the boulder, Thridfi, which was sunk deep into the ground, where he let out such fearful howls that the gods were forced to take yet one more measure to silence him. Tyr himself forged a steel sword of intense strength and purpose, and he placed it into the mouth of the great wolf, so that the hilt rested in the lower jaws, and the point rested at the top of his mouth. Finner's efforts to dislodge it caused a steam of blood to surge forth, and this became the River Vaughan. Finner remained there until the last day, and then he would burst forth to prowl the earth forever.
0: Poor wolf. Mm Mm-hmm. I agree. He's just doing what wolves do, and... Here these gods are all trying to, like, bind him up and, like, kill him and stuff.
2: (sighs) Bastards. He's
0: just a wolf. Work a little harder, become friends with him, he'll be a great pal.
1: One of Loki's sons.
0: Yeah. Why didn't Loki go with him? (laughs) Why wasn't Loki the one that was trying to tame him?
1: I don't know. Probably because he can't be trusted. Oh. <laughs> Train him to attack.
0: <laughs>
1: nah, he already knew how to do that. Okay, this is the passing of the dwarfs. When the earth was formed, the first. Sorry. I was just. The- they throw the wolf?
0: Boo! <laughs> <laughs> Dwarf oh, passing? <laughs> We've totally this is used how football was created. We've totally used that technique in Dungeons and Dragons before. So <laughs> I'm just saying
2: It was the first game created in Asgard. <laughs> the throwing of the dwarf. I will not be tossed.
1: <laughs> Gimli and Lords of the Ring. Uh Gimli's actually in the name of one of these dwarfs. Tolkien and uh Gandalf is another one. <laughs> Uh, When the earth was formed, the first dwarfs were bred from the corpse of Ymir. Dwarfs were also called black elves, and they were such ugly creatures that it was decreed that they should not be allowed to show their faces above ground for fear of frightening gods and men to death. They were dark of skin, which made them nearly invisible in the dark, and they were never seen, for they risked being turned to stone by appearing in the daylight. Dwarfs were fine craftsmen, and although they lacked the size and power of the gods, they were certainly more intelligent than any other form of life in the Nine Worlds. And they were called upon by the gods to provide assistance when their own magic failed. And so it was that the dwarfs became great friends to the gods, helping them out by producing the peerless ship Skidbladnir, the golden locks of Sif, the hammer Molnir, the golden skin pig of Gulusberti, the ring Dropnir the spear Gungnir, and Freya's exquisite necklace, Brisingamen. Without these aids, the gods would never have had the power to keep at bay their many enemies. And when the old gods finally succumbed, the dwarfs themselves lost interest in the world above and disappeared. This was the passing of the dwarfs. When the old gods were no longer worshipped in the north, The dwarfs formed the conference and it was decided that they could no longer offer any help to humankind. For centuries they had made themselves useful in households, appearing to need bread or help with the farming, or rock a baby to sleep when necessary. Actually it just says or rock a baby when necessary (laughs) Go to sleep. (laughs) (laughs) It's the dwarven way. It'll make you stronger. (laughs) But the twilight of the gods had caused a change of heart. One night, the dwarfs hired a ferryman, and for the whole of that night, he was kept busy, filling his boat with his invisible passengers, so that it nearly sank, and transporting them back and forth across the river. When this night's work was complete, he was rewarded with riches beyond his greatest imaginings. The next morning, the dwarf had vanished from the land of the dark elves, A cry of protest against the disbelief of the people. Left to his own resources, no man was capable of running a household as smoothly without the helpful dwarves. And no weapon as wondrous or as invincible as those formed by the dwarfs was ever produced again. The passing of the dwarfs marked the end of an age, and the end of the camaraderie between the two worlds.
2: I like our story of passing the dwarfs better.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> Just rock a baby. But what
0: is <laughs> it? <laughs> Just rock a baby. <laughs> Dunk! Is it the Wolf of Wall Street where they throw the, d- the, <laughs> the dwarf around the room? Yeah. <laughs> is it? <laughs> I think so. <laughs> so that was like literally what popped in my head when you said the passing of the dwarf. <laughs> and then... <laughs>
2: Up ten, up and up and
0: One, up and up, and up, and up and two. But so they were kind of like little house elves, little Dobbies.
3: Master gave Dolby a sock. <laughs>
1: Dolby's a free dwarf. <laughs> 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 oh, sorry,
3: <laughs> Gibby's a free dwarf.
1: <laughs> this is Oberon and Titiana. Every.
2: Oh, sorry, just weird that I didn't realize they were in
1: North Mythology. Every elf and fairy sprite hop as light as bird from briar, and this did he after me sing and dance it trippedly. And that was from William Shakespeare's A Midsummer Night's Dream. No discussion of the elves or dwarfs, as they are commonly known is complete without a few words about Oberon. There are stories told far and wide of the fairy king Oberon and his delicate queen Titiana. Oberon was so exquisitely handsome that mortals were drawn into his fairy world after just one glance at his elegant profile. In every country across the world, there was a sense of unease on the eve of midsummer, for this is when the fairies congregate around Oberon and Titiana and dance. Fairy dances are a magical thing and their music is so compelling that all who hear it find it irresistible. But once a human, or indeed a god, succumbs to the fairy music and begins to dance, he will be damned to do so until the end of his days, and he will die of an exhaustion like none other. Oberon was also very powerful, and his tricks above ground became legend throughout many lands. With the passing of the dwarfs, humankind had no help with their work. And the little folk were no longer considered to be a blessed addition to a household. Many believe that Oberon harnessed the powers of Frey when he fell, and used them beneath the earth to set up a kingdom of fairies which was as complex as commanding as Asgard had once been. With his strength and his overwhelming beauty, he was considered by man to be nothing more than a demon.
0: So is this why the only elves that we have in our house hide our shit?
2: Probably. They're pretending to be dwarves? They know we're going to pass them around?
1: <laughs> now we get to the events that lead to the end of the world. It's, it's the, the
3: end of the, world, of the world as we
2: know it.
0: It's, it's the, the end, end of the world as we know it. And I feel
1: fine.
0: My voice cracks. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <Lord>. <laughs> Now this is a foreword in this book, "Myths and Legends," that I believe was written by William G. Doty. Baldur was pure of heart, and he represented goodness in every form. His life in Asgard was one of kindness and generosity, and while he lived the force of his righteousness would allow everyone in Asgard to enjoy peace from evil. But evil comes in many forms. And not even the gods could be protected from its sinister influence forever. In Asgard, Loki was the evil that would burst the babel of their happiness. And it was Loki who would bring about the end to the eternal conflict between virtue and corruption. It was an end that had been predicted since the earth was created. And its reality was as frightening as every prediction had suggested. Ragnarok would rid the world of evil and leave a trail of ashes that blotted out the sun and all that had once glowed in their gilded world. But it was from ashes that new life springs, and the world of the Viking gods was no exception. This is the Death of Balder.
2: The Death of Bladder. (laughs)
1: Baldur was the beautiful, radiant god of light and innocence. Each life that he touched glowed with goodness, and he was loved by all who knew him. His twin brother was Hodor, who was blind, and Baldur tended to him with every kindness and consideration. Hodur worshipped Baldur, and would do nothing in his power to harm him. There came a morning when Baldur woke with the dawn, his face tightened with fear and foresight. He had dreamed of his own death, and he lay there petrified, aware somehow, that the strength of this dream forecasted sinister things to come. So Baldur traveled to see Odin, who listened carefully, and knew at once that the fears of his son were justified, for in his shining eyes there was no longer simply innocence. There was knowledge as well. Odin went at once to his throne at the top of Yggdrasil, and he prayed there for a vision to come to him. At once he saw the head of Vala the seer come to him, and he knew he must travel to Hell's kingdom to visit Vala's grave. Only then would he learn the truth of his favorite son's fate. It was many long days before Odin reached the innermost graves on Hell's estate. He moved quietly so that Hell would not know of his coming, and he was disregarded by most of the workers in her lands. For they were intent on some celebrations and were preparing the hall for the arrivals of an esteemed guest. At last the mound of Vala's grave appeared, and he sat there on it, keeping his head low so that the pro- so that the prophetess would not catch a glimpse, a glimpse of his face. Vala was a seer of all things future and all things past. There was nothing that escaped her bright eyes. And she could be called upon only by the magic of the runes to tell of her knowledge. The grave was wreathed in shadows, and a mist hung uneasily over her tombstone. There was silence when Odin whispered to to come forth, and then at once there was a granting and steaming that poured forth an odor that caused even the all-powerful uh, the all-powerful Odin to gag and spit.
0: He's a spitter, huh? (laughs) I'll do it. Who disturbs my
3: sleep?
1: Said Vala with venom. Odin thought carefully before replying. He did not wish her to know that he was Odin, king of gods and men, for she may not wish to tell him of a future that would touch on his own. And so he responded,
0: I am that that man. I...
1: (laughs) I am Vatman
2: <laughs> I was bitten by vats when I was a kid. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I am Vigton, son of Vat Vatum, and I wish to learn of the fate of Baldur.
3: Baldr's brother will slay him,
1: said Vala, and with that she withdrew into her grave. Odom leapt up and cried out. With all the power of the ruins, you must tell me more. Tell me, Vala,
0: which esteemed guest does hell prepare for? Baldur
1: she muttered from the depths of her grave.
0: And I will say no
3: more.
1: Odin shook his head with concern. He could not see how it could be possible that Baldur's brother would take his life. Baldur and Hodor were the closest of brothers, and he shared the same thoughts and indeed speech for much of the time. He returned to Asgard, with his concerns still intact, and he discussed them there with Frigga, who listened carefully.
3: "'I I have a plan,'
1: she announced,
3: "'and I am certain you will agree that it is the best course of action for us all. I plan to travel through all nine lands and will seek the pledge of every living creature, every plant, every metal and stone, not to harm Balder.'"
1: And Frigga was as good as her word— For on the morrow she set out and traveled far and wide, everywhere she went, extracting with ease the promise of every living creature and inanimate object to love Baldr, and to see that he was not injured in any way. And so it was that Baldr was immune to to injury of any kind, and became a game among the children of Asgard to aim their spears and arrows at him, and laugh as they bounced off. Leaving him unharmed, Baldur was adored throughout the worlds, and there was no one who did not smile when he espied them. No one, that is, except Loki, whose jealousy of Baldur had reached an unbearable pitch. Each night he ruminated over the ways in which he could murder Baldur, but he could think of none. Frigga had taken care to involve all possible dangers in her oath, and there was nothing now that would hurt him. But the scheming Loki was not unwise, and he soon came up with a plan. Transforming himself into a beggar woman, he knocked on Frigga's door and requested a meal. Frigga was pleased to offer her hospitality, and she sat down to keep the beggar company as she ate. Loki in disguise chattered on about the handsome Balder, who he'd seen in the hall, and he mentioned his fears that Balder would be killed by one of the spears and arrows he had seen hurled at him. Frigga laughed and explained that Balder was now invincible.
0: Did everyone swear an oath to you then?
1: asked Loki slyly.
0: Oh, yes,
1: said Frigga. But then she paused.
3: All that is except for a funny little plant which was growing at the base of the oak tree at Valhalla. Why, I'd never before set eyes on such a little shoot of greenery, and it was far too immature to swear to anything so important as my oath.
0: What is it called?
1: asked Loki again. Hmm. Said Freya, still unaware of the dangers her information might invoke.
3: Mistletoe, yes, mistletoe.
1: Loki thanked Frigga hastily for his meal and left her palace, transforming at once into his mischievous self and traveling to Valhalla as quickly as his feet would take him. He carefully plucked the budding mistletoe and returned to Odin's hall, where Baldur played with the younger gods and goddesses, and they shot him unsuccessfully with arms of every shape and size. Hodor was standing frowning in the corner, and Loki whispered for him to come over.
0: "What is it, Hoder? Hoder?"
1: He, he asked.
2: "Nothing. Really. Just that I cannot join their games,"
1: said Hoder quietly. "Come with me," said Loki.
0: "For I can help."
1: And leading Hoder to a position close to Balder, he placed in his hands a bow and arrow fashioned from the fleetest of fabrics. To the end of the arrow he tied a small leaf of mistletoe and topped the razor-sharp tip with a plump white berry.
0: "Now, no, shoot now!"
1: he cried to Hoder, who pulled back the bow and let the or- and let the arrow soar towards its target. There was a sharp gasp, and then there was silence. Hoder shook his head with surprise. "Where were the happy shouts?" Where was the laughter telling him that his own arrow had hit his mark and failed to harm the victim? The silence spoke volumes. For Balder lay dead in a circle of admirers, as pale and frightened, as if they had seen hell herself. The agony spread across Asgard like a great wave. When it was discovered who had shot the fatal blow, Hoder was sent far from his family and left alone in the wilderness. He had not he had not yet had a moment to utter the name of the God who had encouraged him to penetrate his grave to perpetrate this grave crime, and his misery kept him silent. Or Hodor. Frigga was disconsolate with grief. she begged Hermod, the swiftest of her sons, to set out at once for Filmheim to beg hell to release Baldr to them all. And so he climbed upon Odin's finest steed Sleipnir, and set out for the nine worlds of hell, a task so fearsome that he shook uncontrollably. In Asgard, Frigga, and Odin carried their son's body to the sea, where a funeral pyre was created and lit. Nana, Baldr's wife, could bear it no longer. And before the pyre was set out on the tempestuous sea, she threw herself on the flames and perished there with her only love. As a token of their great affection and esteem, the gods offered, one by one, their most prized possessions, and laid them on the pyre as it set out for the wild seas. Odin produced his magical ring, Jropnir, and the greatest gods of Asgard gathered to see the passing of Balder. And so the blazing ship left the shore with full sail set, and then darkness swallowed it, and Balder had gone. Throughout this time, Hermod had been traveling at great speed towards Hell. He rode for nine days and nine nights, and never took a moment to sleep. He galloped on and on, bribing the watchmen of each gate to let him pass, and invoking the name of Balder as the reason for his journey. At last, he reached the hall of Hell, where he found Balder sitting easily with Nyana in great comfort and looking quite content. Hell stood by his side, keeping a close watch on her newest visitor. She looked up at Hermad with disdain, for everyone knew that once a spirit had reached Hell, it could not be released. But Hermed fell on one knee and begged the icy mistress to reconsider her hold over Balder.
3: Please, Queen Hell, without Balder we cannot survive. There can be no future for Asgard without his presence.
1: But Hel would not be moved. She held out for three days and three nights, while Hermid stayed right by her side, begging and pleading and offering every conceivable reason why Baldur should be released. And finally the Queen of Darkness gave in.
0: Return at once to Asgard,
1: she said harshly.
0: And if what you say is true, if every living and inanimate in Asgard loves Baldur and cannot live without him, then he will be released. But if there is even one dissenter, even if one stone on your land does not mourn the passing of Baldur, then he shall remain here with me.
1: Hermod was gladdened by this news, for he knew that everyone, including Hoder, who had sent the fatal arrow flying through the air, loved Baldr. He agreed to these terms at once, and set off for Asgard, relaying himself and his news with speed that astonished all who saw him arrive. Immediately, Odin sent messengers to all corners of the universe, asking for tears to be shed for Baldr. And as they traveled, everyone and everything began to weep, until a torrent of water rushed across the Tree of Life. And after everyone everyone had been approached, and each had shed his tears, the messengers made their way back to Odin's palace with glee. Balder would be released. There would be no doubt. But it was not to be. For as the last messenger traveled back to the palace, he noticed the form of an old beggar woman hidden in the darkness of a cave. He approached her then and bid her to cry for Baldr, but she did not. Her eyes remained dry. The uproar was carried across to the palace, and Odin himself came to see dry eyes whose inability to shed tears would cost him the life of his son. He stared in those eyes and he saw then what the messenger had failed to see, what Frigga had failed to see. And what had truly caused the death of Baldur. For those eyes belonged to none other than Loki. Loki! And it was he who had murdered Baldur, as surely as if the arrow had left his own hands. The sacred code of Asgard had been broken, for blood had been spilled by one of their own in their own land. The end of the world was nigh. But first, Loki would be punished once and for all.
0: These stories are so good. <laughs>
2: <laughs> they really are, aren't they? I still want to what happened to Hodor, who got sent out on his own, blind.
0: Poor guy. All because his creepy uncle
2: made him kill Loki his made him
0: kill his brother.
2: <laughs> he thought he was just joining on the fun with everybody
0: else. Did you notice how Loki decided to dress as a woman? Thor mm-hmm. could not be the only... I now see why those two characters have been chosen in like Marvel movies and things, and Marvel and all that stuff. Yeah. They have really an interesting dynamic.
1: They really do. Which makes yeah. for
0: really good freaking stories.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Like every one of these I want to see made into a movie. Like, <laughs> oh, yeah.
1: L- later, later, you and everybody else should take up my advice and read Thor in the Hall of the Giants. It's just too long to try to read on this episode. The Revenge of the Gods The wrath of the gods was so great that Asgard shuddered and shook. As Odin looked down upon Loki in the form of the Beggar Woman and made the decision to punish him, Loki transformed himself into a fly and disappeared. Although he was crafty, even his most supreme efforts to save himself were nothing in the face of Odin's determination to trace him. Loki traveled to far-distant mountains, and on the peak of the most isolated of them all he built a cabin, with windows and doors on all sides so he could see the enemy approaching, and flee from any side before they reached him. By day he haunted a pool by a rushing waterfall, taking the shape of a salmon. His life was uncomplicated, and although he was forced to live by his wits, and the fear of the gods' revenge was great, Loki was not unhappy. From his throne above the worlds, Odin watched and waited, and when he saw that Loki had grown complacent and no longer looked with quite such care from his many windows, he struck. It was one particular evening that Loki set weaving. He had just invented what we today call a fishnet, and as he worked, he hummed to himself, glancing every now and then from his great windows and then back at his work. The gods were almost upon him when he first noticed them, and they were led by Keveser, who was known almost who was known amongst all gods for his wisdom and ability to unravel the tricks of even the most seasoned trickster. And as he saw them arriving, Loki fled from the back door and transformed himself into a salmon and leapt into the pond. The gods stood in the doorway surveying the room. Kavazar walked over to the fishing net and examined it closely. His keen eyes caught a glimmer of fish scales on the floor, and he nodded sagely. It is my assessment, he said, that our Loki
2: has become a fish, and he held up the fishing net, we will catch him with his own web.
1: <laughs> Dumbass. The, the gods made their way to the stream and the pond which lay at the bottom of the waterfall. Throwing the net into the water, they waited for daybreak, when Loki the salmon would enter the waters and be caught in their net. Of course, Loki was too clever to be trapped so easily, and he swam beneath the net and far away from the part of the pond where the gods were fishing. Kvazir soon realized their mistake and he ordered that rocks be placed at the bottom of the net so that none could swim beneath it, and they waited. Loki looked with amusement at the god's trap and gracefully soared through the air above the net, his eyes glinting in the early morning light, and as his fins were just inches from the water, and when he was so close to escape that he had begun to plan his celebrations, two firm hands were thrust out and he was lifted into the air. He hardly dared look at his captor, and he began to tremble when he saw that it was none other than Thor who had moved so swiftly to catch him.
2: I command you to take your own
1: form, Loki, he shouted, holding tight to the smooth scales of the salmon. Loki knew he was beaten. Quietly, he transformed himself once again into Loki, only to find himself hung by the heels over the rippling water. And as Thor raised his great hammer to beat Loki to death, a hand reached out and stopped him. It was Odin, and he spoke gently and with enormous purpose.
0: Death is too good for this rodent,
1: he whispered.
0: Take him at once to the hell's world and tie him there for good.
1: And so it was that Loki was taken to Filmheim, where Thor grabbed three massive rocks and formed a platform for the hapless trickster. Then Loki's two sons, Vali and Neri, were brought forth, and an enchantment was laid upon Vali so that he took the form of a wolf and attacked his brother Neri, tearing him in pieces in front of his anguished father. Gathering up Neri's entrails, which were now endowed with magical properties, He tied Loki's limbs so that he lay across the three rocks unable to move. The entrails would tighten with every effort he made to escape and and to ensure that he could not use trickery to free himself. Thor placed the rocks on a precipice. One false move and he would be sent crashing to his death in the canyon below. Finally, Scotty caught a poisonous snake, and trapped it by its tail so that it hung over Loki's face, dripping venom into the mouth so that he screamed with pain and terror. He began to convulse, and was such a terrible sight that his wife Sigyn rushed forward and begged to be allowed to stay beside him, holding a bowl with which to collect the poison. The work of the gods was done. They turned then and left, and Sigyn remained with her husband, ever true to her wedding vows. Every day or so she moved from her position at his side in order to empty her bowl, and Loki's convulsions brought an earthquake to Asgard that lasted just as long as it took her to return with her bowl. They would remain there until the end of time. For the gods, that is, the end of time was nigh, and it was Ragnarok.
0: Yeah.
2: <laughs> Being tied up by your son's entrails.
0: Wow. <laughs> that is dark. <laughs> Holy shit. But I think it'd still make for an awesome freaking movie. Mm-hmm.
2: I wish this was the way they took the Marvel version. <laughs> <back>. <laughs> <laughs> it might have been a little too dark <laughs> for the Marvel series, but hey.
1: The end of the world had been prophesied from its beginning. And everyone across the world knew what to expect when Ragnarok fell upon them. For Ragnarok was the twilight of the gods, an end to the golden years of Asgard, an end to the palaces of delight, an end to the timeless world where nothing could interfere. It was the death of Baldr that set the sage for the end of the world, and it was Loki's crimes which laid in place the main characters. And when the action had begun, there was no stopping it. When evil entered Asgard, it tainted all nine worlds. Saul and Manny, high in the sky, paled with fright, and their chariots slowed as they moved with effort across the sky. They knew that the wolves would be soon upon them, and that it would be only a matter of time before a darkness would fall once again. And when Saul and Manny had been devoured, there was no light to shine on the earth. And the terrible cold crept into the warm reaches of summer and drew from the soil what was growing there. Snow began to drift down upon the freezing land, and soon it snowed a little faster and a little harder, until the earth was covered once again in a dark layer of ice. The Ice Age
0: winter
1: is coming winter was upon them and it did not cease for three long frozen seasons it was winter and then after a thaw that melted only one single layer of ice it was back for three more with the cold and the darkness came evil which rooted itself in the hearts of men soon crime was rampant and all shreds of human kindness disappeared with the spring at last the stars were flung from the skies causing the earth to tremble and shake. Loki and Frenra were freed from their manacles and together they moved forward to wreak their revenge on the gods and men who had bound them so cruelly. At the bottom of Yggdrasil there was a groan that emanated the entire length of the tree. For at that moment Nidhogg had gnawed through the root of the world tree, which quivered and shook from bottom to top. Fialar, the red cock who made his home above Valhalla, shrieked out his cry and then flew away from the tree as his call was echoed by Golencambi, the rooster in Midgard. Heimdall knew at once what was upon them and, raising his mighty horn to his lips, He blew the call that filled the hearts of all gods and mankind with terror. Ragnarok. The gods sprang from their beds and thrust aside the finery that hung in their bedchambers. They armed themselves and mounted their horses, ready for the war that had been expected since the beginning of time. They moved quickly over the rainbow bridge and they reached the field of Vigdred where the last battle would be fought. The turmoil on earth caused the seas to toss and twist with waves, and soon the world serpent Jormungandr was woken from his deep sleep. The movement of the seas yanked his tail from his mouth, and it lashed around, sending waves crashing in every direction, and as he crawled out upon the land for the first time, a tidal wave swelled across the earth and set afloat Nagofar, the ship of the dead.
2: Ship of the dead.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Which had been constructed from the nails of the dead whose relatives had failed in their duties and had neglected to pare the nails of the deceased when they were laid to rest. As the night wind caught the blackened sail, Loki leapt aboard and took her wheel the ship of the undead captain, by the personification of all evil. Loki called upon the fire gods from Muspel, and they arrived in a conflagration of terrible glory. Another ship had set out for Vigdred, and this was steered by Hrem, and crewed by the frost giants who had waited many centuries for this battle. Across the raging sea, both vessels made for the battlefield. As they traveled, Hell crept from her underground estate, bringing with her Nithog and the hellhound Garm. From up above, there was a great crack, and Soter, with sword blazing, leapt with his sons to the Bifrost Bridge, and with one swoop they failed it and sent the shimmering rainbow crashing to the depths below. Quickly, Odin escaped from the battlefield and slipped one last time to the Erdar fountain where the Norns sat quietly, accepting their fate. He leant over Murmur and requested her wisdom, but for once the head would not talk to him. And he remounted Slepner and returned to the field frightened and aware that he had no powers left with which to defend his people. The opposing armies lined themselves on Vigrid Field. On one side were the Aesir, the Vainer, and the Ein Harrier. On the other were the fire giants led by Surtr, the frost giants, the undead with Hel, and Loki with his children, Fenrir and Jormungandr. The air was filled with poison and the stench of evil from the opposing army. Yet the gods held up their heads and prepared for a battle to end all time. And so it was that the ancient enemies came to blows. Odin first met with the evil Fenrir and as he charged towards the fierce wolf Fenrir's massive jaws stretched open and Odin was flung deep into the red throat. Thor stopped in his tracks. The death of the all-father b- burning deep in his breast and with renewed fury he lunged at the world serpent engaging in a combat that would last many hours his hammer laid blow after blow on the serpent and at last there was silence thor sat back in exhaustion jormungandr dying at his side but as thor made to move forward To carry on and support his kin in further battles, the massive serpent exhaled one last time in a cloud of poison so vile that Thor fell at once, lifeless in the midst of the serpent's breath. Tyr fought bravely with just one arm, but he, like his father, was swallowed whole by the hellhound Garm. But as he passed through the gullet of the hound, he struck out one last blow with his sword and pierced the heart of his enemy, dying in the knowledge that he had obtained his life's ambition. Heimdall met Loki hand to hand, and the forces of good and evil engaged in battle that had been raging for all time. Their flames engulfed one another. There was a flash of light, and then there was nothing the silent vitter came rushing from the distant past of the plain to avenge the death of Odin, and he laid upon the jaw of Fenris a shoe which had been created for this day. With his arms and legs in motion, he tore the wolf's head from his body and then lay back in a pool of blood. Of all the gods, only Frey was left fighting. He battled valiantly, And as he laid down giant after giant, he felt a warmth on the back of his neck that meant only one thing. The heat burned and sizzled his skin, and he turned, and as he turned, he found himself face to face with Surtur, with a cry of rage that howled through the torn land and shook the massive stem of the world ash Yggdrasil, Surtur flung down bolts of fire that engulfed the golden palaces of the gods and each of the worlds which lay beneath it. The heat caused the seas to bubble and to boil and there came at once a wreath of smoke that blotted out the fire and then the world. At last, all was as it had been in the beginning. There was blackness, there was chaos, There was a nothingness that stretched as far as there was space.
2: That was great. I like that. (laughs) That That's such a good story. So crazy.
1: But then it ends. The earth was purged by the fire, and there was once a new beginning. The sun rose in the sky, mounted on a chariot driven by the daughter of Saul, born before the wolf had eaten her father and her mother. Fresh green grass sprung up in the crevices, and flowers and fruits burst forth. Two new humans, Lif, a woman, and Lifthraser, a man, emerged from Mimr's forest, where they had been reincarnated at the end of the world. Vali and Vidar. The forces of nature had survived the fiery battle, AND THEY RETURNED TO THE PLAN TO BE GREETED BY THOR'S SONS, Modi AND MAGNI, WHO CARRIED WITH THEM THEIR FATHER'S HAMMER. HONER HAD ESCAPED FROM THE Vayner, who had, finished, WHO HAD VANISHED FOREVER, AND FROM THE DEEPEST DEPTHS OF THE EARTH CAME Balder, RENEWED AND AS PURE AS HE HAD EVER BEEN. HODER ROSE WITH HIM, AND THE TWO BROTHERS EMBRACED AND GREETED THE NEW DAY. And so this small group of gods turned to face the scenes of destruction and devastation and to witness the new life that was already curling up from the cloak of death and darkness. The land had become a refuge for the good. They looked up. They all looked way up. And there in front of them, stronger than ever, was the world ash, Yedrazel, which had trembled but not fallen. There was a civilization to be created, and a small band of gods, with whom it could be done. The gods had returned in a blaze of white light, a light as pure and virtuous as the new inhabitants of the earth. And in that light, they brought forth our own world.
0: That's very reminiscent of... um, uh,
1: Genesis? No,
0: um oh. the the end one, Revelations. And then what happens after? Oh,
1: yeah. Yeah. Very. Which was probably added in after yeah, with, after the, the christianization.
0: Fucking amazing stories. Yeah. Oh my yeah. god.
1: Let's <laughs> say well,
2: it kind of ends like um, I'm not quoting this correctly 100% correctly, but it you know, my version of it kind of as it said in Thor Ragnarok. Asgard is not a place; it's its people.
0: Oh. They, re- they
2: rebuild. They can rebuild.
0: Oh my god! Like, Build it, they were come. <laughs> For the fact that I knew nothing about Norse miso- myth- mythology before this, yeah, I want to go read books now. Like no. this is like awesome.
2: I have to find some audio books because we know I don't have time yeah, to read. Yeah, me too. Or, or the power to read. Or the knowledge, or degree. the ability. Yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna say every other word, but ability. Gaping that.
0: <laughs> I'm your sister. I'll be sure to point it out for you. <laughs> like, oh, that was so
1: good. Oh my gosh,
0: <laughs> very good, Dave.
1: Oh, thank you. Yeah this this was a an amazing set of stories. I, I mean, need to
2: figure out how much it pays to have people to you know how much it pays to like. Do a read off for audiobooks um, and just keep sending
1: them to Dave. <laughs> there, there is a podcast where they go over all the stanzas of the uh prose, prosetta, yeah. um, and they go through them like line by line and they they talk about them.
0: Well, I have to say, of all the mythologies we've covered, this just jumped to number one. I yeah. really, really enjoyed this.
2: The stories are just they're dark but humorous yet. Like, I don't know, there's just yeah. so much to them that just <laughs> draws you in.
0: It does. Like, I, you know, we start out, like, joking around and having fun with the first story, and then by the end of it, Chad and I are just over here just, like, staring up at up our during the whole, like,
2: Loki thing, like, <laughs> imprisonment thing. I was in here, like, eyes are getting bigger as so I'm reading ahead. Like, oh, shit. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> shit. Oh, hell no. Nah. <laughs> like,
0: <and laughs> I mean... He did kill his nephew. So, I mean, yeah. he did deserve some kind of punishment.
2: Oh, no, I get it. I just, I was not expecting the... Having his son destru- kill his other son and then use the entrails of his son to tie him. It's like, what the fuck?
0: <laughs> I mean, it was kind of poetic justice, though. I mean, he had Thor's son kill his other son. Yeah. I mean, there was no, no. intestines and all that you and mean stuff. mean Odin's son? No, Thor's.
2: No. Odin. 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 Baldur and... Oh, it was Baldur. Yeah. Or uh, yeah.
1: Odin, son.
0: That's right. Sorry. My bad.
1: <coughs> now, this was just a sampling of the stories. Yeah. yeah. There is a lot of them. And a lot of this, over. over I mean, these were the same people, uh, like the Teutonic peoples, that brought us like Grimm's fairy tales and things like that.
0: Yeah. And which makes sense, because a lot of these are very similar to some of the fairy tales. Mm-hmm. The Big Bad Wolf. The Three Little Pigs. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, Yeah. I don't know. I'm sitting here just going, man, those were good.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah.
0: So what's our our mythology? (laughs) Apparently my tongue is not working. What's our next mythology we're going to cover?
2: I don't know. We've done, I mean, we could. Mayan? That's hard to find. Mm. We will have to look You'll into it. have to it. look
0: into it. I like these mythology episodes. Yeah, me too. And like I said, this one just jumped to the top of the list. This one, Indian mythology, the Greek mythology. Uh,
2: I really liked the Celtic mythology when yeah. we did that one. It was cool. Yeah. And that was just one battle. Like, <laughs> Oh, yeah.
0: Yeah. Then Alistair Carlin. <laughs> I say,
2: listeners out there, if there's a mythology you want us to cover, and have Dave
0: read it with his. Yes. Yeah. De- uh, you know have pr- professor awesome.
2: professor Dave uh <laughs> I like <laughs> how intense
0: he was getting at the end too but Oh, yeah. Oh, it, like yeah. I just was like That's what I said
2: t- is like he needs to be like paid to read books for like for audiobooks
0: or we pay him to read for our Patreon <laughs> That's what you can do you can just read the stories you didn't read and throw it on Patreon for people
1: Oh I could Yeah I could read the um
0: is if people are like me? I'd rather listen to them than read them myself.
1: Thor in the Hall of the Giants. Yeah, and there's a bunch of others in this book that are like about like the kings and things of Iceland and. I like it. Well, well, we were
0: going to have him read the Book of Enoch, weren't yeah. we? Which we do have a copy of now.
2: Well, thank you, Dave, for your <laughs> research and your reading and your <coughs> all-around prowess. <coughs>
1: well, thank you.
0: Yes, it was awesome. I hope our listeners enjoyed it as much as we did because I know Chad and I were just like in it and I was like envisioning it happening. What I find interesting though because that seems to be a theme across a lot of mythologies is that the two battle to end the world and I'm always like, if you know your fight is going to cease all existence, why don't you make peace?
2: Because they're mortal enemies,
1: they um can, ex- they can escape fate
2: I just like how with at least it's definitely with the Norse mythology, and I know there's other mythologies that do it too, but you know it's the battle to end all, but then it's
0: reborn. everything's
2: reborn, and well, it's always
0: you can definitely see the Christianization in these stories yeah. a lot of these stories are very similar to Bible stories. And like I said, this was very resemblant of uh, Revelations and then what happens after Revelations.
1: Oh, yeah, with the dragon coming out of the sea. Yeah. And
0: but very, very interesting and very, very awesome. And I just th- I yeah. can't wait to edit these episodes so I can listen to it. Again. <laughs> and not often do I want to re-listen to some of our episodes. Sometimes I just like, ah, I got to edit. <laughs> I'm looking forward to it.
1: Um, it's almost Valentine's Day.
0: It is, which means we're gonna have a love episode.
2: It's almost sad Singles Awareness Day. Oh. Hey, this one kind of started as a love episode. <laughs> and
0: some some lovely stories, Mister
1: Oder, and some cross
2: dressing. <laughs> yeah. I say, and you know, a Heim dog getting freaky with
1: three different. Yeah. And a wedding. It started with a wedding. Oh, yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> what? Three weddings and a funeral? <laughs> Four weddings, whatever the movie is? Yeah.
1: Three weddings and a Ragnarok. <laughs> <laughs> you beat me to it. That's what I was going to say. Three weddings and a Ragnarok.
2: <laughs> New TV show.
0: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I like Bosom Buddies with Loki and Thor. And I want to get. Uh, Chris Hamesworth and uh, Tom Hiddleston Tom Middles- Hiddleston 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 to play the characters. <laughs> I want this to happen.
2: <laughs>
0: Disney Plus work with me here. <laughs> like they like to my TV like <laughs> <laughs> they <laughs> can hear me.
2: They probably can. They can. <laughs> 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 yeah, true.
0: We do have a fire attached to it so we, <laughs> I are being say, listened
2: we to. We also got our computers and our phones yes. near yes. Us
1: that, and our, they so, can hear us. And our Kindles. Yeah. So
0: Disney Marvel I would like a small cut. Uh, 10% would be fine. <laughs> wow. Awesomeness. Such, such, mm-hmm.
2: great, such great episodes.
0: So thank you guys for listening. Be sure to go check out our brother and sister podcast with the Green Mushroom Podcast Network. we got Smuts Up, Ad Hoc History, Administrism, Faith Blind Council, and Lexicult. Our other brothers and sisters over at Grognostics, Primordia, and XV Planus. Uh
1: Cult Confessions, Cult Hour, Weekend
0: have? Weird. Is that the and, one? Uh, weird Reb Radio. Weird Reb Radio. That's what it was. Weird Reb Radio. That's how I would say it. I have a problem with R's and W's. And, <laughs> <sighs>
1: and if you know Menu, he just. Well, I got two things to say about that. He just started podcasting. And Menu's is also the tale of another giant that was slain in the Welsh myths that became the world. I don't know menu. I don't either.
2: Menu. I'm not as active on the Faith Blind Council Discord as mm-hmm. I probably should be.
0: But. Also be sure to join our Facebook, Instagram, and Discord at UMP Normalcy. So always feel free to send us emails with what you like, what you don't like, what you want to s- listen to. What you want to see on Patreon? If you want to correct us on words, I'm apologizing
2: now for the fact that we said we would have Patreon more <laughs> Patreon stuff out. I am still God's failing us. I am still without a computer at the moment, and <laughs> makes it really hard to do our content uh, away from <laughs> having <laughs> to schedule a day for me to come over and do it side by side. Um, so we will that? get you some stuff. It'll be there. Um, just might take us a little bit longer than expected. Funds are short. I need to finish tax my taxes so I can
0: get In us going. Um, also, if you have any ideas for things that you want to see on Patreon, I think I said that, didn't I? And I then might we restarted have
2: started, and then I interrupted. But
0: yeah. So, if there's something you want to see on Patreon? Let us know. Um, yeah, we're getting into Valentine's Day. We've, I know we've got a um, collab episode coming up mm-hmm. with Primordia. Um, Your source for strange. Which I'm really looking forward to. Um, so we got a lot of good stuff coming. Um, some missing 411, maybe some on talk about it. You know, who knows? Um,
1: well, let's give them something to talk about.
0: <laughs> <laughs> let's give them something on talk about. Uh, be sure to use the links in the description of this episode or the links on our website and check out Parabox Monthly and get your monthly t-shirt sent to you for 19 dollars 95 something like that. Uh, use promo code PARANORMALCY at checkout and get 10% off your first order. Also, we still are affiliated with HalloweenCostumes.com. It's never too early to start planning for the next year. Or if you just like to have cool Halloween stuff up year-round, check it out. Use the link in the description. And that's going to do it for this week. So until next time.
1: Keep digging. Loki!
0: And he huffed and he puffed and he blew his load out.
1: (laughs) Unearthing Paranormalcy is a part of the Green Mushroom Podcast Network. To hear more great independent productions like the one you just listened to, visit our catalog at pgmpodcastnetwork.com.